0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber Get some Axis Deer Sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com, that's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, Venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit Seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's Seafoamworks.com to learn more.
1: Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal.
0: Wolverines! (laughs) The iconic mascot of the high school turned, quote, partisan group in the 1984 classic Red Dawn, to the gruff X Men character, to the gruffer and perhaps more iconic Milverine, for you, Milwaukee residents, is, well, a character and no matter how much fun you have watching movies, the real thing is much better. Recently, two people in Washington, one on a logging road and one on a beach a few days later, about 40 miles away, got to experience a first-hand encounter with a real-life wolverine. The wolverine is the largest member of the weasel family, Mustelidae, outside of the giant otter, of course. Male wolverines can grow to a little over 30 or 40 pounds, and females will grow to typically under 30. In contrast, the sea otter will weigh in over 100 pounds at times. And the least weasel on the other end of the Mustelidae family weighs only about a half a pound. You thought you had a strange family. I got family. Wolverines are known to be solitary, even angry animals that go it alone unless you recall the book, The Wolverine Way, by Doug Chadwick, about a study conducted in Glacier National Park by Jeff Copeland and Rick Yates. This study used Chadwick as a volunteer and radio telemetry backed up by human tracking through Glacier. Chadwick was part of the team that verified what the telemetry was saying, and what that data and human scrambling miles said was in Glacier National Park at least, the solitary Wolverine spent quite a lot of time socializing with other wolverines. A male even traveled with his offspring on occasion, something very uncharacteristic, according to popular knowledge. Of course, in Washington, the two sightings involved a singular wolverine, and even though the sightings occurred three days apart, one on the logging road in Nacelle, the other north of Surfside, Washington, a distance again of about 40 miles, the Washington coast is likely not under invasion by the seldom-sighted weasels. Both encounters resulted in pictures and reporting providing verifiable data that suggests that the two wolverines are likely one and the same, and a female. According to the Chinook Observer, the lucky citizen that captured the photo of the wolverine on the beach as it fed on a carcass of a marine mammal said the wolverine, quote, almost seemed to emerge from the carcass, which is pretty cool. It may not seem like a lot, But this is a good case of citizen science. Two verified sightings provide a lot of information. The wolverine is elusive and biologists can't be everywhere. The citizen science data can help patch in gaps in wolverine movements or help with population data. The first time I ever saw a wolverine, way back, about the same time the wolverine study was going on in Glacier National Park, I had gone on a fishing trip with some of the guys I guided with. We packed into the middle fork of the flathead and got about a day of fishing in when a storm started building. As we floated through a turn in the canyon, we heard rocks falling from the river right side. And out popped a wolverine. The wolverine looked at us in our boats, walked into the river, swam across in front of us, and climbed straight up a rock wall that was beyond vertical in some parts. The animal then sat on top of those cliffs, snapping its jaws and thoroughly cussing us out. I videotaped the whole thing. Watching a wolverine swim a river is nothing I ever thought I'd do in the lower 48 anyway. Turned out that wolverine crossing was a bit of an omen, both for us and the footage, I guess. The storm the wolverine preceded built up into something fierce. The temps dropped 40 degrees, wind blew, rain sheeted. We ended up drinking wet and unproductively under a tarp until we woke the next morning to more of the storm and a frigid, wet row all the way out of there. No more fishing. Then a buddy of mine kicked over the hard drive I'd been storing everything on, and away went the Wolverine footage. Oops! Unless, of course, I have a mini-DV tape somewhere still. Anyway, I missed my chance to contribute as a citizen wolverine scientist who, just like these folks in Washington, was just in the right place at the right time. According to a variety of estimates, there could be as few as 300 wolverines in the lower 48. However, due to the huge range of these animals, and when I say huge range, one famous wolverine, M56, was tagged with a radio transmitter and collar outside of Grand Teton. That male wolverine traveled into Colorado. At the time, he was the only documented wolverine in the state. Then, he wandered uh, what turned out to be a bit too far and was shot in North Dakota. At least, he was shot as the only wolverine in North Dakota. Remember that rule, always be sure of your target and beyond? Well, in the North Dakota incident, I think it was more of a, I don't know what that is, I'll shoot it and have a look. This was legal, mind you, as the animal was reported as harassing cattle. Again, being as M56 was the only wolverine in North Dakota in over 150 years, I have a hard time believing the rancher wanted to put an end to that. But anyway, on top of this huge home range and wanderlust to boot, if I hadn't said it enough, wolverines are elusive, making an accurate population number hard to guess. I'm lucky enough to spend an incredible amount of time in the woods and in all my time I've only seen that one in the lower 48. In the book The Wolverine Way, Chadwick wrote, "If wolverines have a strategy, it's this: go hard and high, and steep and never back down. Not even from the biggest grizzly and least of all from a mountain. Climb everything: trees, cliffs, avalanche chutes, summits. Eat everybody." Alive, dead, long dead, moose, mouse, fox, frog, it's still warm heart, or frozen bones.
1: Um, that's
0: badass. This week on Cal's Week in Review, it's bear season, the Bob Marshall, and a couple of reminders. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. I threw together my raft, which is a double D by Air, which is out of Meridian, Idaho, The double D is in reference to an outer tube design that diminishes the bow and stern tube. So, you know, not what you're thinking. I used to paddle and row a bunch of different airboats when I was guiding. We even packed out a moose on a meat eater episode in one. When I was in Idaho, I went raftless for a long time. And when I decided to move back to Montana, I said to myself, Self, you'd better get a boat and a dog. I've been dogless for a long time. I had this string of incredible yellow labs for about 20 or so years. Eventually, in very selfish ways, they all up and died on me. So now, in addition to the boat, I'm getting back into the dog life. I have a yellow lab female coming my way about mid-June out of Riverstone Kennels all the way over in Wisconsin. So I'll have to break her of a Midwest accent and probably a strange obsession with sitting in trees for whitetails. Lots of work ahead, and it's been a while since I lived the puppy life. Now that you know all of that, this past weekend, it was the first overnight raft trip of the year, and you know, I packed the steel battery-powered chainsaw. (laughs) Didn't end up using it, of course, but it just makes an outdoors-type person feel like they're ready to take on whatever a weekend will bring. So I brought it. I was all rigged up for Pike, but all I could coax out was several very nice brown trout, but being as I was convinced the pike would eat, I wound up, once again, with no fish in the cooler, and those browns have several extra piercings than they would have if I had just been looking for them. Also, on this trip, I had my bear spray handy. The grizzlies have been active. One mountain bike-related incident, just outside of Bozeman, in Big Sky, where a mountain biker startled a grizzly while riding on a trail, and another in a similar boating situation to myself this past weekend, but on the Sun River, where a sow grizzly attacked a man who had stepped away from his boat and campmates to relieve himself. In both instances, bears were surprised and the human survived. The boater stayed a couple of nights in the hospital. The biker will be dealing with the physical trauma for a while longer as he'll need cranial facial reconstructive surgery. Face and head injuries are consistent with grizzly attacks, which is why the method of laying down with hands clasped behind your neck was adopted. The victim is harder for a curious bear to roll over with their elbows out, but again, in the Big Sky incident, it doesn't sound like the biker had the opportunity. Jumping over to an area recently discussed, the Apennine Alps over in Italy, I think everyone has seen the video of a young boy cautiously walking toward the voice of his father that came out this week. Behind him in the video is what appears to be a large grizzly bear, which, if all of this susses out, is exactly what it is. The apennine brown bear, which, of course, you knew because you listened to this show, a real-deal grizz three hours from Rome. That idea is pretty darn cool, and this footage is amazing. I've been getting two questions related to this video. Is this real? And two, you should talk about bear safety what these people should have done. Okay, one, I don't 100% know if it is real, but I will tell you it is a heck of a lot more fun to think it is. Several major and respected news outlets have covered this, so let's just say yes. The other bit of media everyone sent in this week about an old trapper in Canada having a near uh, forced sexual encounter with a larger than average beaver? That, my friends, is fake. Question number two. What should they have done? Let me set the scene again. Family is out on a hike. The young man is wandering about. As he returns to his father and mother, he is followed by what looks like a curious grizzly bear. The father gently talks with his son as he moves very cautiously and slowly towards his father and away from the bear. The son has his back to the bear and is walking as if this were a game of tag, where the rule is you can't run. you got to move in, like, slow motion. As we've covered with grizzly bears, the child could have laid face down with his hands over his neck, which is exactly what our river rafter did when attacked on the Sun River here in Montana. The difference, of course, is the bear attacked the man on the river the boy could have stood tall and acted agitated and bigger than he is, trying to bluff the bear. This is not recommended behavior for grizzlies. Although, if I am being honest, I have done this with a charging grizzly bear, and that time it worked. But in this case, in the Apennine, the bear was not charging. So, to not play too far in the could-haves or would-haves or should-haves, this family under extraordinary circumstances, did what they should have done. The end result is no human scratched and no bear dead. Every situation is so different in the Bear Woods, be they the Bear Woods of Kamchatka, Montana, or the Apennine region of Italy. The father instructed the son to be calm. He slowly moved away. They refrained from triggering either a fight-or-flight response or a chase-and-eat response. They did great. to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.
1: and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's
0: O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Moving on, but sticking with bear attacks, this one happened in April in Michigan, Crawford County to be exact. A woman had let her dog out to relieve itself in the yard before turning in for the night. After several attempts to call the dog in, the female dog eventually returned in frenzy to the porch with a large black bear on her heels. Once the dog was safely inside, the owner had to bravely push past this brazen Bruin to move the dog and herself into the vehicle to get off to the vet. The dog's wounds were extensive, and according to Michigan One, it may never run again. I found this last part funny the need for the news to put a human spin on this dog-bear encounter. As I am sure, if you asked the dog somehow as to how it felt about fighting a bear, which was supposedly 300 pounds, but I mean realistically any size bear, and living through the ordeal, what that dog thought about surviving that, but having to live at a trot type of pace versus a run type of pace, it would probably say, uh, woof. Next up on the bear blotter, Missouri residents will likely be able to participate in that state's first bear hunt fall of 2021. The proposed hunts would be quota-based, meaning that the state will set goals for each BMZ, or bear management zone. The hunts in those zones, set for October, will last 10 days or until the quota is filled. Prospective bear hunters will have to apply for the specific BMZ they wish to hunt and the tags will be distributed through a standard tag lottery system. Black bears in Missouri were essentially wiped out by the 1830s due to both the demand for bear products such as bear hams, bear bacon, and bear grease, as well as habitat loss. With the elimination of market hunting and the passing of such notable market bear hunters as Daniel Boone, Boone once killed 155 black bears in just one year. Right now, Missouri's bear population is somewhere between 600 and 800 bears, so you can see why the bears didn't last too long with market hunting and market hunters like Boone around. Habitat loss and conflict are the two largest adversaries of the black bear now. Instead of wholesale forest destruction for railroads, mines, and settler camps, the bears face a fancier term, encroachment. The creep of subdivisions that incorporate wildlife corridors, which alone are pretty good for animals. However, these corridors lead to humans leaving open garages and full bird feeders and full trash cans out. Or, you know, maybe even a dog trying to relieve itself in the middle of the night. Black bear conflict almost always results in the death of that bear. Black bears have an incredible homing instinct and relocation often just results in the bears coming right back to where they'd been fed. Don't feed the bears. And remember, the public comment period ends June 5th. If you are a Missouri resident and you care about black bear hunting, go to mdc.mo.gov forward slash bears and let the Missouri Department of Conservation know what you think. Coincidentally, here in Montana, the comment period for the Grizzly Bear Conservation and Management Advisory Council regarding the eventual state management and hunting of grizzly bears, another conservation success story, is still open. That one ends August 31, and you can find it at fwp.mt.gov. One more from Missouri, this one from opening day of turkey season. A hunter sounded so turkey-like a male bobcat attacked him. Landing on his head and neck, the cat attempted to subdue what he may have thought was a turkey, but turned out to be a man. <laughs> kind of an odd point of pride for a turkey caller, really. The hunter fought the cat from his head, and when he turned, the cat was still standing just a few feet away, at which point the hunter shot him. He then called the Missouri Conservation Department and provided a picture of the wound to the back of his head, Although attacked, bobcat was not in season. Francis Skalicki, the spokesman for the MDC, said the hunter did everything right by immediately calling the conservation department and reporting the killing of the bobcat. According to the Springfield News Leader, the conservation officer on the scene advised the hunter to contact the health department if he would like to get the bobcat tested for rabies. Coincidentally, perhaps, I have traveled to the National Wild Turkey Federation annual convention in Nashville, where they showcase all sorts of interesting taxidermy. After listening to this story, one of these displays had me thinking. It's of a big tom turkey kind of jumping up in flight using his spur to gouge the eye out of a bobcat. Judging from the story just told out of Missouri, this taxidermy display must fall under inspirational Not factual. And lastly this week, the Hungry Horse News, the only respectable source of news in the West Glacier and South Fork of the Flathead Canyon, not to mention Montana's first, and for a long time only, Pulitzer Prize winning, or should I say, earning paper. That's right, Mel Ruder and his staff at Hungry Horse News earned the Pulitzer for the coverage of the Great 64 flood. But I mean, you already knew that. Anyway. The HHN reports on an event that occurred back on May 16th on the South Fork of the Flathead River on the sandbar where Black Bear Creek flows in. Two horseback riders and bear hunters on the return leg of a ultimately 160-mile ride through the Bob Marshall Wilderness encountered a strange scene. A Bell 407 helicopter, complete with people. The helicopter had flown over the riders and their pack string earlier that morning, and the convergence at the landing site was by coincidence. According to the Hungry Horse News, when the writers inquired as to the angler's means of travel, which they did because mechanized travel in a federally designated wilderness area is illegal, they were responded to in, uh, let's say, a dismissive manner and instructed to take a picture of the people, helicopter, and tail numbers, and they would be happy to pay the fine, so move on. There is more to come on this story, but if this encounter is true, and for the record I have spoken to one of the members involved, so you know I'm inclined to believe the guy, I have to say that the person that is a lawbreaker who is willing to look law in the eye and tell them to just move on, we'll pay the fine, without acknowledging the efforts of law-abiding citizens to get to that far-off point on the map, you know, without a $3.1 million helicopter, is... Well, just not the type of person I'd be willing to sit down and have a beer with. It appears this group literally and brazenly flew directly in the face of Bob Marshall himself, a man who was famous for 50-mile-a-day hikes, and that was back in the hobnail boot days. But more importantly, they put their interests, which to be clear are the same as everyone's in the Bob that day, literally above everyone else. You want to take your family fishing? Darn right! Please do! But don't do it at the expense of everyone else's day. Speaking directly to the flight-enabled, there were a lot more folks in the woods than just that dirty pair of mule skinners you spoke with. I have a lot of phone calls in with a lot of people right now. I'll pick this one back up as soon as I get the rest of the story. If you happen to have the rest of the story and want to make it easy on me, I'd love to hear it. You know where to find me. Moving on. Remember to call your duly elected representatives and tell them to support the Great American Outdoors Act. As a reminder, Mitch McConnell said he is bringing the greatest conservation package we may ever see to the floor at the beginning of the month. Make those phone lines burn. Don't know who your congressman is? Go to house.gov. That's H-O-U-S-E dot G-O-V. In the top right corner of that page, you will see the outline of the United States. And there's going to be a little box in it. It says, find your representative. All you have to do is put your zip code in that box and hit enter. And one more call to action. If last episode's rant, which some called it, and you're probably accurate about e-bikes, inspired you to send in pictures of your toddler wobbling around on their baby feet with you calling them elitists, I I got a laugh out of that, but I hope it also inspired you to contact the Department of Interior, as well as the BLM and the National Park Service and the Bureau of Reclamation. Those comment periods are coming to a close as well. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Remember, if you love what you are hearing, tell a friend. If I'm missing something in your neck-of-the-bear, deer, turkey woods, write me at askcal at the meat that's askcal at the meat thanks again i'll talk to you next week just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.